Good morning. Awesome. So good to see you guys. Before we jump in, I got to say just a huge thank you and shout out to our friend Maddie Collins on our media team for making this video for us. Not only the video, uh, but this uh, series graphic as well. So we're super grateful for her gifts and talents um, and for her. So I don't think she's with us today, but she could hear you online um, cheering for her. So thank you. He is risen. Oh, good. It works. Uh, this sweet, the, day, the Sunday after Easter. Don't worry, we're, we're not running a week late on the calendar. You're not 51-ish weeks early. Really, we are still celebrating the good news that he is risen. He is alive. And that is still true today as much as it was last week on Resurrection Sunday. Because Jesus kicked death in the teeth, and broke down, <laughs> broke down the barrier for us that we might experience life just as he is alive and with us here today. He has come out of the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit. This Sunday is the second Sunday in the church calendar, um, this season called Easter Tide. Say that, Easter Tide. Right, so Easter Tide is going to continue on. It actually runs from Resurrection Sunday up until Pentecost Sunday. So it's a period of fifty days that we are in Easter Tide. But really, aren't we always an Easter people? Always an Easter people. If we are people who believe in the resurrection of Jesus, if we believe that He is alive and in our midst then we are an Easter people defined by our faith, our hope, and our love. Being found in the Holy One that affects every aspect of our lives. It permeates everything. The whole faith in Jesus that we have is about coming down and comes down to our daily living. Mind, body, and spirit aligned as we live out our faith each day. So daily living, L-I-V-I-N. Thank you, Matthew McConaughey. Um, <laughs> I had no idea uh, and, until I just actually saw an ad with him doing that on YouTube. Thank you, YouTube. Um, yeah, but y'all, I'm from West Virginia, we don't really put the G on the end of things uh, all that often. So it's living. We're, we're living. Say daily living. That's right. So how do we daily live out this faith? How do we do that? What does it look like if we only had a practical guide to approach the total life of faith? Something, maybe something a little like this. This book um, is one that Avery gave me for Father's Day um, just a couple years ago. The Young Adventurer's Guide to Almost Everything. <laughs> Build a fort, camp like a champ, poop in the woods, all the essentials. Y'all, some of the chapters are like on point. These are things that we should know. Wisdom for life. Um, just as a couple, a couple more examples like that. Um, what to snack on while you're in the woods, like finding a snack in the woods. 
um, where to find the best place to, to put up your tent. Um, 33 ways to use a bandana. Because, right, you, you have to know all the ways. Um, how to make a basket, how to make a shepherd's sling, um, turning, you can make all kinds of things. This book is absolutely amazing. Um, what bugs to eat, eat a bug. Uh, what happens, what if you just find yourself in the woods and need to survive for a night? Um, but particularly, one of my favorites is how to outrun a bear. <laughs> So the, um, yeah, I'm just going to share a bit of that wisdom with you, a practical guide for, for us today. How to outrun a bear. The first thing you need to know about how to outrun a bear is that you can't. That's because bears can run at a speed up to 40 miles per hour. That's 50 feet in three seconds. While you, dear reader, Dear friends, are uh, struck in the low 20s at best. You don't have to be very good at math to figure that one out. The second thing you really need to know is that it's really, really unlikely that you'll ever find yourself in a sketchy bear situation. Fact is, bears don't want anything to do with humans unless you're threatening their youngins or you have just bathed in meat juice. <laughs> so... Um, None of this does a bit of good, though, if you do find yourself crossing paths with an Henri Ursine. In the unlikely scenario, here's what you do. First, know your bears. Black bear, generally small, non-aggressive, and don't see you as a meal. Grizzly bears, brown, not very small at all, and have been known to dine on humans. Um, you don't want to mess around with them. So. Every piece of your body and mind is going to tell you to run screaming. Don't freak out. It's important that you remain calm. Yell, get out of here, you big old bear, or I'm not tasty. <laughs> While raising your arms, waving them around so you look even bigger than you are. Step three, as you're yelling, back away really slowly and steady. Don't make eye contact because they might see that as a sign of aggression. Some people will tell you if the bear is still advancing, then you should climb a tree. We would like to dispel that myth. <laughs> Do not climb a tree unless you favor the idea of being clawed mercilessly out of it. Four, if the bear charges you, you still have a good chance. There, that's because bears are known to bluff charge giving their enemy one last chance to back down. So stand your ground, make yourself as big as you can, yell loudly, I told you to get the heck out of here, or something to that effect. As a last resort, step six, use your pepper spray. You do have pepper spray, right? <laughs> Start spraying when the bear is 10 to 20 yards away, aim for the eyes, and prepare for the bear to be disoriented, giving you the per perfect opportunity to slip away. And here's where we dispel another myth, the final, final one. If you are attacked, it's not always the best idea to play dead. Indeed, if it's a black bear and you can't escape to a safe place, fight with all you've got. Um, you can't, uh, yeah, you can't escape, sorry. <laughs> Concentrating on blows to the face. I can't concentrate on this bear because they're smaller, more timid than grizzlies, you have an excellent chance of fending them off. 
But if it's a grizzly, take the popular advice. Lie fat, flat on your stomach. Make it harder for the bear to turn you. Spread your legs so that, and arms so that it makes the, it harder for the bear to turn you over. All of that. Watch out for bears. <laughs> and I have left you with this wisdom um, for today, if nothing else. However, what if we just, if we had some guide to our faith that could show us the practicalities, practical wisdom for life? Well, it turns out, it turns out that we do. In the book of James. The book of James is where we are headed um, over the next five weeks. We are going to dive in into this book that not a lot of people actually want to read. Even, even the great reformer of the church, Martin Luther, Protestant Reformation thing, right? Like He was not a fan of James. In fact, he thought it shouldn't be in the Bible at all. Not a fan. It brings about a lot of challenge for us, but it is practical wisdom. When I think about the book of James and whether we want to dive into it and whether we want to be challenged to grow in our faith, it makes me think of this stat that I've heard over and over again about people visiting national parks. So of the people that visit national parks, 90% of them, Never leave the pavement. Think about that for a second. 95% of visitors never get more than 100 feet away from pavement. Imagine it, right? If you've been to a national park, you've seen some of the wonder and the awe-inspiring just vastness that the land and creation, nature have to offer. But if we only get a glimpse of it from the pavement or where we can still see pavement <laughs> over there, there's so much more to explore. There's so much more for us to adventure into. And then you should take this book with you. <laughs> But isn't that the case also with our faith, with our Christian faith, that there is so much more? There are depths that maybe we have not yet explored. There are adventures to take on this faith that go beyond the pavement, that we can see more of who God is, more of what it's like for his kingdom to come, and more ways that we can be shaped and formed into the image of Jesus. So we are going to dive in today to James chapter 1. It's not that long of a chapter, so I'm going to read it. We're just going to let it wash over us first, and then we're going to come back and pick up a couple of pieces of it, okay? because it's a lot, and really we could do a whole series on just chapter one. Um, and it's really a summary of the rest of the book. So where we are going to go over the next four weeks, this is going to give you a picture of that, and then we're going to keep digging deeper as we go on. Let's pray together. 
Holy Spirit, we come before you asking you to open our ears, open our hearts to hear from your word. Your word that continues to shape us, inform us, and challenge us to move forward and to grow in our faith. Let us hear from you today. Amen. So hear this word of the Lord. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way. The rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that our God that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How you doing? The author. Here is James. And even that part's not all that easy, because actually, James is the English translation. <laughs> it is actually Jacob. So um, if you get into this, if you decide to dive even deeper, you will find that the author's name is actually Jacob. Um, James, the author, was not just influenced, but immersed in the wisdom of Jesus and the wisdom of the Proverbs. Could you hear, like, as we are going through that, they're like, there are kind of some one-liners in there that feel like Proverbs. If you have spent any time in Proverbs, like, you might actually start to see, see some familiar lines pop out as we walk through the book of James. James, the or Jacob. We're going to go with James because that is the English translation, and we are speaking English, and we are going to, going to roll with that. Um, so I apologize if I bounce back and forth in between. I mean to say James. James, the brother of Jesus, is our author. So think about that for a second, right? He was immersed in the Proverbs, but he was really immersed in the life of Jesus, right? If you have a sibling, imagine for a moment, right? You've grown up with them, and then they go on to become Messiah and king of the world, and you're like, <laughs> I knew him when. <laughs> right? So James knows him probably as well, if not better, than most, right? This is wisdom literature. So it is, there's a lot of practical wisdom in this book that will stand out for us as we progress through it. But you'll find it sounds a lot like other wisdom literature in Scripture, right? I mentioned the Proverbs, and that's, that's probably the closest connection. But other wisdom literature like Ecclesiastes and Job both speak in similar ways. The language will feel, feel very similar if you have been in those or you, you might dig into those as well. And so as we get into wisdom literature, the thing about wisdom is that it's simple, but it's not easy. You know, we're going to be on a bit of a hard journey, so I'm just like preparing you, okay? Like this is not easy stuff that we're diving into. I love the way that Tim Mackey of the Bible Project describes this book. 
He says, James is writing to get in your business and to challenge how you live. And so if it feels like it's poking you, right, James is intentionally getting into your business. Tim Mackey also says, it's a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus, which is a good point to mention right here that this book is specifically written to followers of Jesus. So if you are with us today and you are exploring this, um, you're going to get a window into it. Understand that what we are talking about here, this is not, these are not expectations of people outside of the faith or people who would not say that they are following Jesus. However, if you do say you are a follower of Jesus, then get ready for the gut punch. (laughs) There are parts of this that are going to make us uncomfortable. There are parts of this that are probably going to raise more questions than answers for you. And that's okay. It's actually good. Because if it's not, right, then are we growing? Can we grow? Growth happens in these challenge places. And so we're going to walk through it together. So verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, identifying himself. Right? There are a lot of Jameses that we get. There's, um, for, for those of you who are chosen watchers, right? there's Big James and Little James. <laughs> Um, there, there were many people named, and actually they were named Jacob in the time, but James as their English translation. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he is writing what starts to sound like a letter in the beginning, right? Like, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Greetings. He is writing. He is writing in such a way that it starts to sound like a letter, but we will find quickly that really James is capturing the wisdom to share, and it may have been circulated later as a letter, but this would have been the wisdom that he is writing more, like I said, like Proverbs, than an intent to send it out to a bunch of different audiences. However, to the 12 tribes, kind of giving it an address, it can sound like maybe it is specifically to the Jewish followers of Jesus, those who um, were a part of Israel. But the phrase 12 tribes to the Jewish hearer is really kind of like saying all y'all. Right? It's not just one tribe or a couple of tribes that it is going to, but it is a message for everyone. And so that spans time and space to reach to us here today. Though James was a key leader in the Jerusalem church, right? as um, the faith begins to spread and the way is, is moving its way out from Jerusalem, James is there. He is a key leader 
in the church remaining in Jerusalem, even as it spreads on into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so he is specifically writing there to Jewish Christians, because that's all that there were really at that point. We have a few accounts outside of that, but the folks who were gathered there in Jerusalem is who James was leading and probably had on his heart and his mind as he is capturing this wisdom. So verse 1, okay, not too bad. Verse 2, let's, let's go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Sure, great. Thanks, James. That sounds like fun. Trials of many kinds. I don't generally associate that with pure joy. But these words here, James is not capturing something new, especially for the apostles and those who might have heard the teachings of Jesus. Doesn't it sound a bit familiar? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus' words over and over that he, he too is telling his followers, right? A servant is not greater than his master in the same way, right? In the same way that he would be persecuted, that he would be killed, in the same way that the prophets were persecuted and killed, so too, that should be the expectation for his followers. Throughout this book, we're going to continue to hear the echoes, echoes of the Sermon on the Mount and many teachings of Jesus. One other thing to note about this book is it's, it is one of the earliest writings that we have, actually earlier than the Gospels, earlier than Paul's letters. It is one of the earliest writings that we have from the followers of Jesus. And so as we are in this, we have to remember that context too, the time that it is written into in those earliest days when the Jewish religious leaders were attacking and pressing in on those who followed Jesus and continued to proclaim the name of Jesus after his death and resurrection. So when it's talking about trials, note that we are not talking about hardships, or tragedy that is experienced by everyone. But those things that come specifically because of being a follower of Jesus, the persecution of the early Christians in Jerusalem by the religious leaders, right? These words would be a blessing and an encouragement to those whose lives are on the line for their faith. The general suffering in the world, really until modern times, 
Y'all, it seemed to be a given. It was an expected part of the human experience. So wars, natural disasters, famines, droughts, they're a part of life. And so we shouldn't be caught off guard or surprised when they come. What we're talking about in trials and suffering here is specifically for their faith, right? Not the hardships that the community, that the whole society is experiencing, right? And so being persecuted for their faith, their lives at risk for following Jesus, right? There's something that is hard for us to grasp in our modern Western context. But for first and second century Christians who by the droves were taken to the Colosseum, torn apart and devoured for entertainment or burned at the stake to light the road. That's persecution that we're talking about. Christians today in North Korea, Afghanistan, Pakistan, China, Somalia, Yemen, The list goes on. They get it. That's the kind of trial and suffering we're talking about here. We talked about persecution a bit in the story this week in the book of Acts. We see it coming, right? We we get to see in the book of Acts the first martyr of Stephen. James also would be a martyr later, the author of this book. The thing we talked about in the story this week is how under persecution the church grows. The church actually spreads. And so when we pray for the persecuted church, sometimes it can be a challenge to know what to pray. We pray for strength. Pray for the unending presence of God and the Holy Spirit to meet those in persecution. Again, that's hard for us to understand. But is it even... Can we pray for the persecution to stop? Because James tells us, consider it pure joy. So these trials, this suffering is not a game of gotcha. That God is somehow trying to put us to the test to see if we are worthy, these kinds of trials are those that deepen our faith. He's not the kind of God who's going to put you to the test just to put you up for failure. 
we have to remember the character of God who we see in Jesus. And N.T. Wright over and over again has said, God looks a whole lot more like Jesus than we think. And so we can see in the character of Jesus, of who James is a brother, that he is slow to anger, is merciful and gracious, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. And so that we remind, we must be reminded of God's character and what this is about these trials and suffering that come, they're not punishment, they're not tests. They are deepening of faith and perseverance. The word test could also be refined. That this is about refinement the work of Jesus continually in our lives. He doesn't just save us and leave us, right? There's a lot of risk when we bring our own cultural stuff <laughs> to the text and try to read what we experience and what we carry from culture into this text. We must let the scripture speak into our context. And so it can be easy to come with our thoughts of, right, once saved, always saved, and our wrestle with that faith without works, how do we reconcile these things? These are just a few of the previews of where we're headed in James. We can struggle with the idea that even that our faith would be tested. How could God test us? Do you know anyone else in the Bible who's been tested? <laughs> Darren's counting them up. <laughs> A lot, right? And don't we run tests all the time when we think about basketball teams, football teams, scrimmaging each other? We think about moving from the classroom into the lab, right? We learn and we grow because of the testing, the trials, And it produces for us then endurance and perseverance. But when we come up against those trials and more trials, when I think about endurance, when I think about the image of endurance and testing over and over again, if you've been to Ikea, the Puang chair, <laughs> I don't, I'm sure I did not pronounce that right, but the, right, the test of this chair, where the, like, continually, right? It's like someone is sitting down in the chair and getting up and sitting down and getting up all day long. Like, I wonder if they turn it off at night, if it, if it continues going, to see, right, if the chair can stand up to its 10-year warranty. 
that's like 260,000 sits <laughs> in the chair. And how many times did they break the chair <laughs> before they figured it out so that they have one that will last 10 years? And friends, James invites us to ask for wisdom. To ask for wisdom in these trials, in the suffering. Are you asking for wisdom? As we proceed on into the book of James, you'll see this theme come up again and again, asking for wisdom. I'm so desperate for wisdom that I refuse to get rid of my wisdom teeth. Yes. I need all I can get, y'all. What about, what about this bit on doubting? Is this the doubting of like our friend Doubting Thomas? Someone who says, I need to see to believe. Is this someone struggling in their faith and seeking answers? It doesn't seem that way. What we're dealing with here, right, and this teaching, these teachings are hard, and so <laughs> I'm not just like trying to let you off the hook, okay? But I am digging in a bit more here to see this kind of doubt that James is referring to really seems to be pointing to someone who is still trying to serve two masters. That they might have given verbal assent or might have given intellectual belief to who Jesus is, but they hadn't yet encountered him and not committed to follow him. Trying to serve two masters does make it like a boat being tossed on the waves, blown back and forth by the wind. But friends, it is okay to struggle in your faith. It is okay to ask questions. It is okay to doubt. It is in those places that we grow. When we're able to ask questions, if we stop asking questions, then how are we going to grow anymore? I think about my own kids and how, right, through these 11 and 12 years that they have lived, how much they learn because they ask questions, they test things, and they try things. But right, sometimes we kind of lose that, that childlike wonder and that we're willing to ask questions because we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to seem like we're not as smart <laughs> as our colleagues or our peers, but it's okay. Asking questions is a sign of wisdom because you are digging. You want to know more. So ask for wisdom. Y'all, there's so much to this. Chapter one is like I said, a summary of where we are headed. We're going to dive deeper into each of these areas in the weeks ahead.
going to wrap. Each chapter actually wraps with a one-liner. <laughs> it is actually helpful if you want to memorize something as we're going through this, if you want to see like what, what might stick with you from James. These one-liners, it's like the last verse of each chapter. Verse 27. Religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Those two things go hand in hand. This wisdom of if our faith is being lived out as we care for the most vulnerable among us, then that kind of works to keep us out of those things that might pollute us. <laughs> they go hand in hand as we look to Jesus. As we look to Jesus to shape and form our everyday lives. That our daily living may be in alignment with who he is and who he created us to be. Again, this is the distinction of for those who desire to follow Jesus. Over these next five weeks, I want to invite you to read along and go deeper in the book of James. There's actually a reading plan in version that um, is actually on the Sunday page. If you scroll down to the teaching section of the Sunday page, there's a link there. Um, and so basically, if you can do three days a week over the next five weeks, a short reading of like five to ten minutes, this is a deeper dive into a book that is intended to be chewed on and chewed on some more, and you swallow a little bit, and then you chew some more. It is thick, and there's a lot to it. And so I invite you into that reading plan with me as we, we journey over these next five weeks. And in all of it, we're reminded that as we are being shaped and formed, our daily lives, every aspect of our lives being surrendered to Jesus, that it is about experiencing the Father's love for us. Right, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right, and so a practical way that we experience that every single week is through the bread and the cup. That we remember Jesus' body being broken on the cross his blood being spilled. It was for us. It was for us that we can experience his presence with us here and now. That though he passed through death, 
he arose to new life. That you and I, by receiving his body and his blood, are reconciled with him that we too may experience the fullness of life. So friends, I invite you to the table today to experience this means of grace, right? that no matter where you are, where you have been, that he is ready to meet with you today. He's ready to give you wisdom when you ask for it. So let's ask together this week as we taste and see that the Lord is good. I invite you to come to the table.